The prosecutors moved to make all those miscellaneous perfunctory changes to the indictment in the Chad Day Bell case. Rex Heuerman's wife wants to hear and see all the evidence in court before she decides if he's guilty. Alec Murdoch says, what's the rush? These other trials can wait. We have an update on the Kalen Armstrong trial and the son of a powerful movie mogul is arrested, well, for murder and then our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below. And remember to hit that little bell for notifications of when we go live or put up new content. And remember, as always, you can listen to us anytime on any of your podcasting apps. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, open the docket for November 14th of 2023. But before we get to the docket, we are streaming the sentencing hearing for one of the Fairfield teens who pled guilty to, remember, murdering their Spanish teacher? Well, that hearing is going to go uh, for the next couple of days. As you may recall, Jeremy Goodall pled guilty last spring to first-degree murder. He and his fellow student, Willard Miller, admitted to killing their 66-year-old Spanish teacher, Nohema Graber, back in November of 2021. Yeah, she was beaten to death with a baseball bat in a city park, and her body was left concealed under a tarp and covered by a railroad tie and a wheelbarrow. Now, as you can possibly imagine, the defense is basically saying, hey, they're young kids, their brain wasn't fully developed, so cut them a break. You know, they only killed a school teacher. So let me know. Watch it. I think it's interesting. It's all the classic stuff. Brain doesn't develop till they're 25. They shouldn't be responsible for anything they do. So go easy on them. Let me know. All right. First on the docket, the prosecutors moved to make all those miscellaneous perfunctory changes to the indictment in the case of Chad Daybell. Now, as you may recall, in the Lori Vallow case, there were some amendments that the prosecutor sought to make right before their last witness in their case in chief. Uh, the judge was not happy with the prosecutors. The defense objected to the amendment of the charging document, an indictment, up until the last moment. The defense had prepared to make their arguments under the particular subsection that was in the indictment. I mean, could you imagine being allowed to uh, rely upon the indictment, the charging document that they went to all the trouble with, and then being allowed to just change it, the simple request? And I don't know, this, this is apparently a rule in, in Idaho uh, that you can amend an indictment. Unbelievable. Normally, when you make any amendments to an indictment, you have to go back and supersede. Supersede means to replace that was before it. Hence, when you have an indictment case, they have a f indictment. Then you have a superseding indictment. And if they make more changes or add defendants or change the paragraph under the statute that they're being charged under, the defendants would be, you have a second superseding indictment and third superseding indictment and so on and so on and so on, because that's the way it was meant to be. Only in Idaho, okay? Only in Idaho were they allowed to do it in the Lori Vallow case. I think it's an issue on appeal. I mean, we're not in county court anymore where you get to amend uh, the charging document right before you start trial. We're talking big boy court. We're talking a homicide case, and the prosecutors messed it up. And 
yes, we can go back and find the video where I said, if the prosecutors want to do this correctly, um, in the Chad Day Bell case, they may want to go get another indictment and supersede and make the appropriate changes under the grand jury system. But the prosecutors said, hey, we're just going to file a motion to amend the indictment and they want to modify the language in counts one, three, and five from the defendants, Chad Guy Daybell, Lori Noreen Vallow, and Alex Cox, to the defendants, Chad Guy Daybell, uh, Lori Vallow, and or Alex Cox. You remember they had all the different people, there are multiple people in a conspiracy, at least five. They want to uh, modify the language in Overt Act 10 under count five from months to months, you think, oh, that's just a perfunctory change. What's the big deal? Well, because it is an indictment. And the prosecutor's basically saying, hey, we're actually making this more difficult for us. But that's not the point. They're saying the subsection that we want as it relates to the theft statute um, includes the wrongful taking and obtaining and withholding another property with the intent prescribed within the particular statute. Now, they're saying that it actually makes it adding an extra element to the offense, but that is not the point, okay? Now, I'm sure Judge Boyce is going to allow the amendment and say, well, at least we did it earlier before the last witness in the case in chief. But like I said, I've never seen an indictment amended on the fly. It is unbelievable to me. But the more we see about Idaho, Things just are a little different, um, at least anywhere I've practiced and the federal courts that I've practiced around, um, you know, for the last 28 years. But that is the change that is being made. Now, another motion that was filed, rather weird, it's a motion confirming there is no court order restricting contact between the defendant, Chad Daybell, and his co-defendant. So let me just read this motion. You would think the prosecutors would know what the heck was going on. It says, on January 19th, 2023, a motion was heard in Lori Vallow's case, Fremont County case number 22-21-1624, requesting the defendants be allowed to meet with their respective counsel uh, present for a strategy session. At the time of the motion was heard, the cases were still joined for trial, so all parties were heard on the motion. The court denied the motion, finding that the Idaho Rules of Evidence 507 would only be applicable for mediation, which was not occurring, concerns about the potential for the defense attorneys to become witnesses and security of the parties. The court did not specifically enter any order restricting and or prohibiting communication between the defendants at that time. The state is unaware of any additional orders put in place by the court addressing the defendant's contact with each other or restrictions regarding that contact. Since the entry of the order on the co-defendant's motion for a joint strategy session, defendant Valo de Bell has been found guilty of all charges and was subsequently sentenced to life in prison on July 31st of 2023. At the time of the sentencing, the court transferred custody of defendant Vallo to the Idaho Department of Corrections and in doing so relinquished jurisdiction over her and her case with the exception of some of the limited purposes, such as a hearing under Rule 35. That'd be ineffective assistance of counsel. The state is seeking an order finding and or clarifying that there are currently no restrictions in place by this court in the form of a no contact order or otherwise prohibiting contact between the defendant and the defendant Vallo de Bell. If such an order was in existence, the state would seek clarification as to whether it would still be applicable for the defendant Vallow since the court has relinquished jurisdiction over her case and 
most purposes, including the ability to restrict your contact with others. Normally, in any case, there is a protection order that goes in place. It says you basically can't harass, intimidate, retaliate against um, any witnesses in the case, usually don't have contact with any co-defendants in the case, etc. A couple things happen, usually on sentencing. Usually, if there's a protection order, say, for example, I am convicted or the defendant is convicted of beating your wife, and there's a protection order that says don't beat your wife. Don't harass, molest, intimidate, retaliate against. That restraining order stays in place during the pendency of the sentence and even after parole in most jurisdictions that I've ever seen it. Here there was a protection order or wasn't a protection order, but they said don't talk with the co-defendants. But why is the prosecution seeking clarification that the defendant, Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow can speak? Usually it's the defense that wants to clarify that to make sure nobody gets in trouble. So I think that's rather interesting. And second of all, why is the prosecution not aware of what was going on? And third, Chad Daybell, I'm not your attorney, but listen to your attorney's advice. My advice is I'm sure your attorney is saying, do not talk with Lori Vallow, your wife, because anything you say can and will be used against you. The privilege isn't going to uh, protect you in any way. And so therefore, don't talk. It's almost like the prosecution is baiting Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell to talk to see if they can say something incriminating to one another. Very, very interesting and very bizarre, to say the least. So, hey, we'll bring it to you as soon as it comes in. We get it right off uh, directly from the court, um, which I think is interesting because we brought this to you, uh, we brought you a story about uh, some of the filings in that case last week in our live show that we did on a Wednesday night. Tonight it's actually Tuesday at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. And um, people were doing stories about it for the next three days. We brought it to you that night. So just saying, stick around to Crime Talk when you need the breaking news. Next on the docket, Rex Heuerman. That's right, the wife of the alleged Gilgo Beach serial killer, Rex Heuerman will attend court to see for herself if there is evidence he committed the atrocities that he has been accused of in court. Now, Asa Elrup, that's his wife, visited the uh, jail, the detention facility, um, for the first time since he was arrested on July 13th and spent up to an hour with him on uh, Wednesday. Now, she filed for divorce six days after Heuerman was charged with the murder of three sex workers whose bodies were among the 11 found on a stretch of a coastline close to Long Island back in 2010 and 2011. Now, Ms. Heuerman's attorney uh, confirmed the visit uh, with Mr. Heuerman and said that she would be attending her husband's trial to see if he is guilty of the crimes, which basically makes you think she doesn't believe it. Oh, Rex couldn't be the guy. I know Rex. He's not that kind of guy. She's given him the presumption of innocence. I kind of like it. She's going to go to court, and then we'll see what evidence shows up. Anyway, she wants to hear and see it in her own words, and she wants to play it out in court. She doesn't want to see what the media has put out uh, or what some people are saying on their podcast. I get it. Let's bring it to court. Hopefully it's televised. We all should be able to see what evidence they have and whether they can prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. For those who aren't familiar with this case, uh, the uh, Gilgo murder case, Mr. Hurum has been charged with the killing of Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amberlyn Costello, 
who disappeared in 2009 and 2010. Police say he is the prime suspect in the killing of Maureen Barnes as well. And next, old Alec Murdoch. God, this guy just won't go away, but he's the gift that just keeps on giving. Well, he's got another financial trial that is supposed to begin here in the next two weeks. And the attorneys that are representing him um, have asked that the case be moved, a change of venue. Now, as you may recall, Alec Murdoch has lots of other legal issues, more than just the killing of his wife and his son and those federal wire fraud charges. That's right. He's got 100 other charges currently pending in South Carolina related to financial crimes spanning over several counties. And um, those counties include Allendale, Beaufort County, which is where I love. I have a the uh, Southern Command for a Crime Talk is down there in uh, Beaufort, South Carolina, Collinson County, Hampton, and Orangeburg County. And well, Mr. Murdoch has pled guilty in federal court, but that didn't resolve the state cases. So he's got that trial coming up. So what is a defendant to do? Well, since the schedule started on November 27th, the attorneys for Mr. Murdoch said, hey, we need a change of venue. Uh, because they've been doing some selection of uh, some of the grand jury's you know, questionnaires to uh, see what is, uh, if they're going to be able to get a jury. And this is the way basically a change of venue works. All right. Oftentimes they were saying, oh, I need a change of venue. Uh, this is terrible. I can't get a fair trial here. Um, well, Alex Murdoch may actually have a chance of getting that. So when the jury questionnaires go out on a high profile case, they'll ask you, what do you know about this case? Can you be fair and impartial? And you know, every defendant says, oh, we need to move this case. Uh, I can't get a fair trial. Well, normally you have to wait and see if you can actually seat a jury. So like I said, jury trials coming up, they want it moved out of a different county. And um, along with the media coverage regarding uh, the Murdoch case, the murder trials, he can't get a fair impartial jury. Um, because apparently there have been 167 jury panel questionnaires returned to the court. 147 have reported knowledge about the defendant, Mr. Murdoch, and the criminal charges. And attached to the motion are several responses from the potential jurors. And here's some of them. Do you think this is a good place for Alec Murdoch to get a fair trial? If you want unbiased, I'm not your juror. My mind is made up on this case. Next one. I believe he is guilty of killing his wife and son if that counts. Uh, no. Normally I'd say yes, but uh, this case, given the defendant, I already believe he is guilty. Another one. I have read, viewed, heard numerous accounts of old Alec Murdoch upon moving to Beaufort County. While I am not a gossip junkie, I believe he has committed despicable acts of his family, employees, and associates. He is malicious and unforgivable. He should rot in prison. Needless to say, the uh, defense is basically saying, hey, of those 147, this is not a good jury pool. Um, not looking good for old Alec Murdoch, to say the least. And what does the defense say? Hey, he's we're in no rush. Let's put this off for a while. We know he's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. Why rush it? Let me know if you think he's going to get a fair trial with some of those responses. Next, the Caitlin Armstrong trial. Yes, testimony wrapped up Monday with a firearms forensic examiner by the name of Stephen Aston. And he discussed the bullets found at the uh, East Austin apartment where police believe Caitlin Armstrong killed Anna Mariah Wilson back on May of 2022, May 11th. 
Now, he continued his testimony Tuesday addressing how his team ensures their ballistic examinations are completely unbiased. And he has previously identified the projectiles found on the scene, two bullets in different conditions, and uh, one set of bullet fragments, all coming from the gun that the police allege Miss Armstrong used. Now, the uh, trial began about two weeks ago. So far, we've heard from the following witnesses. We have Wilson's brother, Wilson's friend, Caitlin Cash, who called 911 when she found Wilson wounded on the floor in her apartment, crime scene analysts, Austin Police Department, homicide detectives, people who live near the home where Wilson died, Armstrong's former boyfriend, Colin Strickland, who was friends with Wilson and Armstrong's friend, a U.S. deputy marshal who found Armstrong in Costa Rica about one month after Wilson's death and after she fled and got some plastic surgery, the owner of a gun range uh, that Armstrong allegedly went to months prior to the murder. And, uh, well, although the defense's primary argument is that, well, surveillance video and other data may put Miss Armstrong and her Jeep at the crime scene when Miss Wilson allegedly passed, those videos don't capture Miss Armstrong. Therefore, it's obvious she's not guilty. Well, needless to say, the jury will hopefully get this case soon. And as you may recall, police issued an arrest warrant for Miss Armstrong on May 17th, about one week after Miss Wilson was killed. And yes, there is surveillance video capturing Miss Armstrong at the airport on May 14th, 2022, when she was, well, leaving um, the state, going to New York to meet her sister, then ultimately making a run to Costa Rica, where she was arrested and brought back to Texas. The uh, coroner uh, did come and uh, testify as well. And uh, she testified in some pretty uh, gruesome detail about the gunshot wound, saying how Miss Wilson was shot twice in the head and once in the heart. This matches the uh, testimony uh, from the injuries from the police. And the uh, coroner also noted a gunshot wound on Wilson's index finger and a graze wound on her leg. She said the finger wound could be a defensive wound, indicative that Wilson may have been trying to protect herself. And the coroner said that the official cause of death was, well, murder and by, by gunshot. And then we get to hear from the officers that uh, were with Ms. Strickland when she allegedly tried to escape. Uh, the officers gave an account of how Ms. Armstrong uh, was at the orthopedic doctor's appointment on October 11th of this year and that Ms. Armstrong briefly escaped, leading officers on a chase for about 10 minutes, spanning roughly half a mile. Now, the judge ruled that the prosecutors could use this little 404B incident as part of their case against Mr. Armstrong, um, stemming from the escape itself. Those are unrelated to the murder trial. That is known as the uh, 404B evidence, evidence of other wrongs and misconduct. Normally, flight, though, shows consciousness of guilt, but normally they show flight when it's immediately after the murder. Oh, your wife is dead, your children are dead, and you leave. Really? Everyone is coming this way to seek help for your family, but yet you're going the opposite direction. Consciousness of guilt. A little attenuated that she tried to escape, but it is just right before her trial. So probably just enough evidence so it won't get reversed on improper 404B evidence. And next on the docket. Yes, when you're the son of a powerful movie mogul, my guy, by gosh, you think you can do practically anything, like possibly kill your wife and in-laws. Now, We'll give old Samuel Haskell Jr., the uh, son of a powerful Hollywood agent, the presumption of innocence, but he has just been charged with the murder of his wife and his in-laws. The Los Angeles District Attorney announced the charges 
uh, Monday that uh, Mr. Haskell Jr. Uh, has been charged with three counts of murder in the death of the 37-year-old wife, May, M-E-I, or me, depending on how it's pronounced, and her parents, 72-year-old Gashon Lee and 64-year-old Zhaizheng Wang. Now, if convicted, Mr. Haskell Jr. could face up to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And we haven't talked about this case. We were kind of waiting for a little more to come in, but... um, A dismembered human torso was found in a garbage bin last week by a homeless man in Encino, California. And uh, then video was obtained that shows Mr. Haskell Jr. and uh, someday laborers arrived at his home and carry out garbage bags into the truck. One of the workers say they were told the bags were full of rocks, but the crew grew a little suspicious. They checked one of the bags, which the worker said contained a body part. Well, needless to say, the day workers returned the bags to Haskell and called 911. Realizing he needed to handle the body disposal on his own, apparently, well, guess what? That, too, was on video, allegedly. On Tuesday afternoon, he was seen dumping what appears to be a heavy bag into a dumpster. Coincidentally, the same dumpster where the torso of a person was found the following day. Coincidence? What do we say? There are no coincidences in criminal defense, criminal law. What are the odds? Same dumpster that he was seen going at that the guy found it. What? Coincidence. We'll give him the presumption of innocence. Uh, Wouldn't you like to know why? Wouldn't you like to know how? Questions. We have questions. We want answers. As a pet owner, you want to give your furry friend the very best. That's why baked in Colorado's CBD-infused dog treats are the perfect choice. These delicious treats not only taste great, but they also provide a wide range of health benefits for your pet. CBD has been shown to have many positive effects on dogs, including reducing anxiety, alleviating pain and inflammation, and improving overall wellness. Baked in Colorado's treats are infused with premium, full-spectrum CBD oil, meaning your pet will benefit from the whole plant extract. Not only that, but baked in Colorado's treats are made with all-natural human-grade ingredients so you can feel good about what you're giving your pet. They're also free from wheat, corn, and soy, making them a great option for dogs with food sensitivities. Baked in Colorado CBD-infused dog treats are the perfect way to support your pet's health and well-being. With various flavors, including peanut butter, pumpkin, and bacon, your dog will love them too. So why wait? Head to www.bakedincolorado.com today and order your dog a bag of these delicious and nutritious treats. Your pet will thank you for it. And next, our dumb criminal of the day. Now, oftentimes we note that there are lots of um, similarities in our dumb criminal of the day. Oftentimes it involves alcohol, drugs. Well, today it's also going to be impulse control. So our dumb criminal of the day, there's actually two of them. After being caught having um, some fully nude sex on a causeway in this particular case, uh, and apparently it was in front of some children and some other witnesses. And when the woman was arrested, she always said it was a dream of hers. Uh, to engage in such a public tryst while her companion showed zero remorse when they were arrested. So after receiving multiple 911 calls about 9 p.m. on Friday of last week, sheriff deputies responded to this causeway in Dunedin, which is a Gulf Coast city, and discovered a couple having sex completely naked in the presence of all of the victims, which included a couple of kids. Now, on the side of the causeway, the police found Sarah Fazekas, 
F-A-Z-E-K-A-S, and Robert Clark, 55 and 60 respectively, fully nude on top of one another. The witness described the pair's encounter as crack to sack going to town. Now, Fazekas and Clark, both of whom uh, purchased Florida condos in 2021, uh, apparently our neighbors uh, in, live in the area. So while being taken into custody, Ms. Fazika stated, this was always a dream of mine, referring to this little sexual encounter on the causeway. One of the deputies noted for his uh, affidavit for arrest warrant. She apparently was thought it was beautiful, surrounded by water. The causeway offers spectacular views. Now, along with the exposure of sexual organs count, Fazekas was hit with a felony uh, narcotics charge after police found uh, clazepam pills inside of an Altoids container in her purse. She was free on a, a $2,100 bond. And Mr. Clark, well, not so fortunate. He apparently had zero remorse uh, that multiple juveniles had witnessed the act, and he uh, also declared that the children should have been at home and not on the causeway. Yeah. Anyway, Clark was charged with lewd and lascivious exhibition which is a felony there in Florida. And he's being held in the county jail on a $50,000 bond. And the judge ordered that if he does make bond, he can have no contact with children. Now you may say, why? Mr. Clark, such a disparity. Well, apparently Mr. Clark is a registered sex offender. And at the time of his arrest, he was a civilian Department of Defense employee stationed in Japan. Apparently a search of his work computer turned up a series of inappropriate images. And um, he's apparently admitted to viewing them for self-gratification. Well, needless to say, he um, pled guilty to a felony. And Mr. Clark contended that the uh, child images were to him a fantasy world and that he would never cross the line to actually hurt a child. Well, that uh, sentencing statement didn't fly well with the judge, and he got 78 months in prison in order to serve a life term of probation following his relief from custody. So what does that mean for Mr. Clark? Oh, that's right. Impulse control issues. If you get convicted of this, your federal supervised probation, lifetime supervision, you're going back in front of a federal judge and you're going back to federal prison, Mr. Clark. So the two of you, congratulations. I know it was a dream come true, but a little impulse control could have saved you a lot of trouble. All right, thanks for watching. Don't forget to join us Tuesday night, 6 p.m. live. We will be here. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.